Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning again. Um, As you may or may not know, Pastor Christian and the team, the mission team, they have been in Western Asia or, or Eastern Europe helping our members on mission there. And they started their journey back early this morning, like almost yesterday this morning. Uh, and they'll be, they'll be landing here in Kansas City later tonight around 9.30. And we're excited and glad that they're, they they're going to be making it back, hopefully safely, uh, but that they'll be back with us uh, shortly. Uh, I wanted to show you guys a video of a boxing trainer talking to the boxer in the corner of a ring telling him what he needs to do, how he needs to do it. Uh, And and there's some really sweet movie clips out there with this scene in there. But none of them are appropriate for me to show you on a Sunday morning. (laughs) However, I I did find out something that I didn't know. I I found out about a guy, a trainer named Cus DeMano. He was Mike Tyson's trainer. Cus was described by Muhammad Ali as the Bible of boxing. Mike Tyson, Iron Mike Tyson, if you don't know, he was known for being fearless. He was known for knocking people out fast. He had 58 professional fights. 44 of them were knockouts. For a point of reference, uh, Floyd Mayweather, who has never been defeated, uh, he was 50 and 0. 27 of his uh, wins were, were knockouts. Mike Tyson had 24 in the first round. When Mike Tyson talked about Castellano. He describes how before his first amateur boxing fight, how afraid he was, how scared he was, and how the training that he received from Cus helped him face his fears. Cus told Mike that he could be a champion long before he ever was a champion. Cus described Mike like, like a son, and Mike Tyson described Castellano like a father. The Apostle Paul was like a father to Timothy, and Timothy was like a son to Paul. And just as Mike Tyson needed Cus to remind him of a few things before a fight, Timothy needed Paul to remind him what to do and how to do it before approaching a certain situation in the church in Ephesus. Timothy, he was qualified, and most likely he was trained well enough to engage with this situation in Ephesus, but he was afraid. So he, Paul writes to Timothy like a father who had properly prepared Timothy for this situation. So for the last eight weeks, we've, we've been in this series in 1 Timothy, uh, in a series that we're calling The Good Fights. Uh, and, and as we've been saying, we've been saying this, for Christ followers, fighting is a family business for now. We're not fighting, we're not going around trying to punch people, making them believe in Jesus like Mike Tyson might, uh, but we're, we're giving a concerted effort. We're giving energy towards helping see God's plan carried out in the world. Last week, we saw how the church in Ephesus, uh, how, how uh, false teachers were rising up in the church, believing in teaching in this thing called asceticism. And it was causing people to leave the faith, or, or as we were saying, how it was causing people to throw in the towel on basic Christian beliefs. A key issue there was, is that these leaders, they were influencing other people in the church to do the same, because they thought that this asceticism was more mature. Paul wanted Timothy to teach them to pay attention to the truth. This week, Paul wants Timothy, and he wants us to pay attention to how we live. 
One of the ways that, that Paul wants to curb these false beliefs, these, these false teachers, is to send Timothy. Because Paul knows that as soon as Timothy gets there, the church is going to be watching him. They're going to be paying attention to his every move. They're going to be watching how he talks. They're going to be watching his life. And Paul tells Timothy in this section that we're going to look at today to train in godliness, to set an example for others uh, with his life, and to not to give up, but to stick with it, to be faithful, to persevere. So today we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. It, uh, there are Bibles under the seat in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, consider that one yours today. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saint is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through the prophecy, which was with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Throughout this whole passage, Paul reminds Timothy, just as he's reminding us today, that, that if we're going to stay in the fight, that if we're going to stay in the good fight, we need to pay attention to our lives. And in verses 6 through 10, he makes, he makes sure that if, if you want to do this, if you want to do this, then, then you need to make sure that you're choosing the right goal, that you're choosing godliness. Now, if you're here with us today and you're not a Christ follower, then we're excited that you're spending part of your Sunday here with us. And this, God may be speaking to you in a certain way, so I don't want you to, to check out, but I want you to, to still pay attention. But this is mostly for Christ followers. So Paul, he, he's reminding Timothy of what he already knows, just as Custe Amato was reminding Mike Tyson of what he already knew. The main thing needs to be the main thing. Now for Mike... The goal for him was to knock the other dude out. That's not the goal that Paul has for Timothy, and that's not the goal that God has for us. For us, the main thing is godliness. That's the goal. Jerry Bridges, he describes, he defines godliness in this way. He says, it's a personal attitude towards God that results in actions that are pleasing to God. Godliness, it's the goal for every Christian. Because everywhere we go, at all times, whether we like it or not, we're a walking, talking billboard for Jesus, pointing people to him, towards him. And as Walter reminded me, and he told me, he says, hey, godliness is the whole pie of life. It's not just a slice of it. It's not just a big chunk of it. It's the whole thing. Our attitude towards God should result in actions that are pleasing to him 
in every area of life, even the junk drawer of our lives. But godly, it doesn't just happen. It's not, no one that's godly just woke up one day and was like, yep, I'm godly today. It takes effort. It takes energy to, to, to train in this, in this area. But this is our responsibility. It's on us to train. But the good thing is, is that God gives us the grace that we need to train to be godly. Listen to what Titus 2 says, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. The grace that's described in, in verse 14, that, that Jesus, he, he gave himself to redeem us, to buy us back, to make us a people for his own possession. If you are in Christ today, you have the ability, you have that grace. And that grace will train you on how to live a godly life. And that grace will also do the same, will also, that same grace will also train you to deny godlessness. We, if, if godliness is, is, is our goal, if it's something that we want to do because we're, because we're saved and because we've trusted in him, we, we want to look like Jesus. We want to talk like Jesus. This is why we care about being godly, because we want to act like Jesus, so that other people can get a visual of that grace, of, of, they, they, so they can really see what grace looks like. Paul says this is what happens. If, if godliness is to be our top goal, then first you need, to, you need to change your diet and you need to start eating right. In verse 7, Paul talks about, hey, listen, he says, hey, you need to stop eating what the Ephesians are eating. You need to stop paying attention to the things that, that they are paying attention to. You need to be aware of them. You need to know about them, but you don't need to ingest what they're ingesting. In verse 6, he says, this is what you should be eating. You should be feasting on God's word, and you should be sitting yourself under good Bible teaching. Second, he says, train. So first diet, then exercise. And he uses this example for Timothy because in Ephesus, sports were a big deal. They love their sports. Now, in Kansas City, it's no secret that sports are a big deal here. We know and we understand what it takes for someone or a team to be great. They have to train. We like that they train. We like watching them train. We will even drive 50 miles north of here to watch them train. We like watching them give 110%, even if it's 110 degrees out. Paul's not denying the, the value of, of uh, physical training here. Athletes, they need it to compete. We need it to be healthy. And Paul rightly acknowledges the value. But godly training, however, is astronomically more valuable. Godly training is an investment of sorts for this life and all eternity. This is different than physical training, which is only beneficial for this life and, and, and really not for a, a long time. It, it's only for a short while. Godly training is an investment, and, bec and because it's an investment, there's a, there's a commitment that's needed. You need to commit to it, because it's, and you need to commit to it because it's hard. You're going you're gonna to have to stick with it because you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up, but we need to stick with it because in order to see results. 
a, a really helpful saying for me is, is we will become what we commit to. If you want to be godly, then you will commit to godliness, and you'll eventually, in time, become godly. Godly training is an investment, and because it's an investment, there's a cost that's involved. Just as gym memberships are an investment of sorts, uh, they cost money. Uh, Godly training costs money as well. And it could be as simple as purchasing a Bible. It could be as simple as purchasing a Christian book or paying for child care so that way you can go to a class or, or a seminar. Godly training will cost you time. Going to church costs time. Going to a grove group costs time. Serving on a team costs time. Reading the Bible costs time. It's also going to cost you energy. There's no training out there that that is worth anything that doesn't require energy and effort. An athlete doesn't get better without putting in the work. Our godliness will grow when we put forth effort. It's also going to cost you pride. You may think, you may be thinking to yourself, I don't need that. And all I'm going to say is if Mike Tyson needed to train, if Travis Kelsey needs to go to practice, if Taylor Swift needs a trainer to help her get better, if, if Timothy, a gifted godly dude, needed to train for godliness, we all need this. No one's exempt from that. No, no Christ follower is exempt from godly training. This will cost us our pride because when we train in godliness, correction will happen. Correction will happen from the Bible. Correction will happen from other believers. Correction will happen from the Lord uh, as we train in godliness. If the Bible is our guide and godliness is our goal, then you're going to be corrected. Godly training, it helps us from having having a life filled with sin patterns. And we need other people in our lives to help us move in that direction to help us grow in Christ-likeness. Plus, training with other people is generally more enjoyable, unless they run a lot faster than you, then you got to keep up. That's, that's hard. Um, but a number of years ago, I, I was corrected by a friend, and he was correcting me and encouraging me to be more gentle. And this was a pivotal, pivotal moment in my life. I really had to, to wrestle this one down. Because it it threatened my ego. In my mind, only wimps were gentle. Manly men weren't gentle. And that was my goal. But in the correction, I was reminded that Jesus was gentle and he was a manly man. He was the manliest man. All power, all authority, yet gentle, meek, the giver of mercy and grace. And I wanted to grow in godliness in this way. My friend knew that. He saw, but he saw this particular spot in my life was a blind spot. And he corrected me. And it, and it bore fruit not only in my life, but in the life of other people that were around me. Training in godliness will point out things quicker. You, you never tra- sign up to train for anything and don't expect to be coached or, or, or trained or corrected. You're go- that is going to happen, whether it be training for the flute or training for a marathon or training for karate. I, I don't know what the case may be, but you, you anticipate being corrected in some way, shape, or form. Godly training is also an investment, and because it's an investment, there will be a return. I think that the biggest return that you will get when you train to be godly is that you will understand how sinful you are 
and how much grace a holy God gives you to make you his. Training will, can show you how much you need to cling and clench onto the mercy of God. If godliness is a top goal of your life and the investment is larger, the, the return will be larger. To be clear on this, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about fruitfulness. So if you invest a cup, you will get a heaping cup back. If you invest a wheelbarrow full, then you'll get a wheelbarrow full or back, a heaping wheelbarrow full back. If you invest a dump truck, you will get a heaping dump truck back. In God's economy, it, you'll, you'll see some results pretty quickly. But if you think long term, think 15 years, think 50 years, the payout could be a lot more than a heaping dump truck full back. But this type of return doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. It happens in time. Once again, we're not talking about money. We're talking about godly fruit. Now, I, I, have, to, I have to point this out, because when someone motivates me to work out, or I get the, the energy and the willpower, if you will, to, to work out, I, to, my typical response is, I work out so hard that day that the next day I can't move and I'm so sore that I don't want to do anything. Um, or uh, I... I I think of a workout that I had to do as an athlete, and I really begin to think, I don't have time for that. Like, nobody's got time for that. And I begin to psych myself out, and I really don't do anything. I don't want that to happen for you. So instead, you should start with something a little bit more doable and not trying to, to, uh, to keep up with your CrossFit neighbor, if you will. So to develop a habit, create a simple, repeatable training plan. Aim for three to five days a week, pick a time limit that you can actually handle, that you can do day in and day out. Then commit to it. And it can look like this. You can read a chapter, uh, one chapter of the Bible a day for three days a week. You can take some notes. You can write down an action item that, that God is prompting you to do. Then you can pray and ask God to help you do that thing, to obey it, that action item. You can memorize a verse a week. In, in general, we, there's, a, there's a memory verse at the bottom of the listening guide. That could be one. It could be another one. You could also meditate on God's word. You could, you could read it or you could meditate or, or you could do both. Uh, maybe perhaps you want to meditate on Titus chapter 2 for, for a couple of minutes. Think deeply and intently about it. Ring it dry. Here's the thing. Meditate, like when we start talking about meditating on God's word, it gets a little weird, all right? Like, what, what, if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate on God's word. Like, what I'm saying is worry about the Bible. Think about it. Mull it over. Think about it when you wake up. Think about it when you go to bed. Think about it constantly. Worry about the Bible. To stay in the fight, pay attention to how you live by setting the pace for other people. At this time that Paul was writing this letter, Timothy was young, all right? He was, which means that he was probably 35 years old. He was getting more and more gray hair. He was experienced and qualified to lead. But just as Mike Tyson was afraid of, of some fights, Timothy was afraid as well. Given the situation, he was probably looked down upon by the Ephesian elders and they were, they were probably mumbling something amongst themselves of, who does, this, who does this guy think he is? Who does this kid think he is? 
That's why Paul was encouraging him to set the pace for others. Very simply, a pace setter, if you need a reminder, is someone who sets the pace in a race. So if you're in a running group, that pace setter can run at the front of the group or they can run at the back of the group. They, they are moving their team towards the standard by simply being the standard. They're like a thermostat, not, not a thermometer. They're not adapting to the environment, but by their presence, they are like a thermostat setting the temperature of the environment. This is why Paul says what he says in verse 11 and 12. He says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example. Paul knows that the church in Ephesus, that they are going to watch Timothy. This is why he's sending them to be the example. Paul tells Timothy, hey, listen, set the pace. Because he knows that more will be caught than taught. Every parent knows this. That your kids, that our kids are going to do what we do, not do what we say. That the church there is going to see, they're going to see every aspect of, of, their li- of his life. They're going to see how he speaks when, when his feathers are ruffled. Will we speak the truth in love? What will his conduct be like? Will he be humble? How is his purity? Will he be a man of purity? Will, will, he, will he be hiding anything? Who is he going to trust in or what is he going to trust in when life gets hard? Will he trust in the Lord when life gets hard? Paul wants the church to look to Timothy to see, regardless of what they think about him, if he's setting the pace for other people in the church, and if they want to be godly, and an ounce of them wants to be godly, they'll begin to imitate Timothy's character. We are told uh, in in Scripture to imitate the leaders uh, that are in our lives. We're We're told to imitate their lives. In Hebrews 13, it says this, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Paul, he's, he's encouraging Timothy to lead here, to go first, to set a new direction to go in the church. Leaders must go first. Timothy must go first when setting this new direction that's counter to these false teachers. So Paul tells Timothy in order to do this, he says, hey, listen, this is what you need to do, and this is how you need to do it. And what he's saying, when the church gathers together, this is what Paul is instructing Timothy to do in verses 13 through 15. He says, hey, listen, stand up and publicly read the Bible. Encourage people with the Bible. Teach people the Bible and how to live a godly life. Use the, the gift, the spiritual gift that God has given you, and, and commit to this stuff. Do this week in and week out. Practice, practice, practice. Get better at it. Let them see you get better. Earn credibility with them. Earn their respect by getting better at it. To stay in the fight, pay attention to your life by developing a pattern of life marked by faithfulness. Verse 16 says this. It says, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul wants Timothy and us to have a pattern of faithfulness. A pattern is not perfect. Jesus is perfect. But we develop a a pattern of a life marked by faithfulness by training in godliness. Part of our training for godliness is examining our life and what we have been teaching. 
In verse 16, Paul is telling Timothy to persevere, to to be faithful in in these things. Because as the leader, if he does, it will save not only him, but but those in the church from being lured away by the false teaching and the other strange and weird things that are going on in Ephesus that can grip someone's heart and pull him and pull other people away from the heart of the gospel. A leader always needs to watch their life. They're always investigating and inspecting uh, how they went about things, making sure that they are doing, what they are doing matched up with the truth of the Bible. Always asking themselves, Am I, is what I'm doing reflecting the heart of Jesus? Did I mess up with anybody? Do I need to go back and clear things up? This this type of examination, this type of heart examination can happen during your quiet time. It can happen on your drive home uh, when when you're alone. It can happen in your drive alone with kids. I've I've tried this. It's much harder to do when kids are in. You kind of have to like tune them out, but you can do it. But you're just reflecting on what you did, how you said it, what you taught, how you went about it. Does it line up with God's word? The church in Ephesus, they needed to see Timothy making pursuing godliness, making training in godliness his highest priority. They needed to see him train hard for godliness. They needed to see him mess up. They needed to see him slip up. They needed to see him confess and repent. They needed to watch him clear up and ask for forgiveness when he messed up with somebody else in the church. They need to see him faithfully continue on. Faithfulness is about being consistent. Does the message of your life and the message of your mouth match up? Our our game needs to match our talk. Even in the small things, because the small things, they matter to Jesus. This is what Jesus says himself. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. Leaders, we need to catch this. Because people will will lose faith in you if they see a pattern of of hypocrisy. You will slowly lose credibility, which will weaken your ability to lead someone or lead the team. Those you're leading, they, they want you to be consistent. They want you to be consistent for the long haul. They want you to have a pattern of faithfulness, even with the small things that come your way. Paul sent Timothy to engage with the false teachers in their strange teachings in Ephesus because he wanted Timothy to be the proclaimer of of the life and message of Jesus. Paul wanted Timothy to point people to Jesus. By living a life that is an accurate representation of the message that he's speaking, which is this, that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. There's no one in this room that can save themselves. No one in this room can make their relationship with God right. We can't can't do that. Jesus came to do for you and I what we cannot do for ourselves, to save us, to give us the abundant life. Jesus can do this because when you and I, we weren't faithful, he was. He was faithful to the very end. He didn't skip any steps. He was faithful to the T. Let's pray. Father, you are more faithful to us than we can can ever really wrap our mind around.
Would you kindly multiply what was said here today? Would you help me and would you help these people in this room that heard the message grow in godliness and grow in faithfulness? We want to be like you. We want to represent you well uh, to the world. We want them to see the grace that that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day.